Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation chapter 3. And for those of you, this is your first time with us, or maybe joining us online, we've been walking through um, the first few chapters of Revelation, looking at the letters to the churches. Um, most of these churches were in uh, Western Turkey in the Roman Empire. And this morning, my good friend Alex is going to be preaching from this text, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. But let's first read it together to prepare our hearts to hear what the word he will bring. Revelation 3, starting in verse 1, says, To the angel in the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. May that be us this morning. Amen. Good morning, church. That is good. And I'm so glad to be able to stand before you today and be able to bring the word of God this morning. As you've been reading along with Pastor Andrew, you will notice that uh, in the Church of Sardis, there was a Sardis story. Uh, We see that Jesus is declaring this church dead. And it feels like this morning, though the church is thousands of years away from our time, I feel like I was called upon to preside over his funeral. And so I'll try to do just that today, right? Um, just tell a story. In 2014, I was at my apartment and got a phone call from a pastor friend. I was invited to join him to go to Tacoma General to pray for a young man who was fighting for his life. As a first responder, I went to my car from Seattle and went down to Tacoma. Went to the hospital, into the room, met with the family briefly, and then went to the ICU uh, unit where this young man was being treated. When we walked in, I was first shocked to see, because I'd never seen a human body connected to so many machines. There were more than five of them. And seeing that image, I kind of came to believe there was a serious situation. And so we began praying. 
in the course of praying, my uh, pastor friend was praying, I was praying. We are Pentecostals, so we don't take turns to pray. You pray at once, right? <laughs> and so after we're done praying, the doctor walks in. And you could sense from his look, they were surprised to see strangers in the ICU unit who he hadn't seen before. And so sensing that, I tried kind of to calm his nervousness by using myself as Chaplain Alex, and kind of he was relaxed a little bit. And in the course of our conversation, he said to us, uh, I'm sorry, Chaplain, as a hospital, we have done everything we possibly do, and we're not able to save this young man. Two hours ago, I pronounced him dead. But the family is in disbelief, and I have no way of explaining to them that the loved one is dead. So while he's saying all this, you can just think of what was going through my mind. I just got to the hospital, and I prayed a healing prayer for a dead man. Did you catch that? I prayed a healing prayer for a man who was already dead, two hours dead. What happened to discernment? We say we're spiritually alive. How did I miss that? So anyways, the story continued. He told us, well, here in the U.S., so from Africa, he said, we have the means to keep someone alive if the machines don't break. And if the family wants this man to be on the machines, we are ready to do that, but it will be at their cost. So I'm looking at this young man, looking at the machines, and there was nothing that was signal to me that he was dead. He looked alive. But the doctor said he was dead. As I was praying for this message, I was scrolling through YouTube and I found a clip of a young lady who said that she does funeral home makeup artistry. She had a collection of makeup in her office, and she said this, my job in my profession is to make a dead person look as alive as possible. Amen? Her job is to make a dead person look as alive as possible. I'm sharing these two stories for a reason. In both situations, it is clear that a dead person does not have a mind to pretend to be alive. It's those who are living who try to make them alive. Amen? A dead person cannot pretend to be alive. When we die, there is a separation from all experiences. And the only way that can be reversed is if we are raised from the dead. 
Other than that, there's nothing in a person who is dead that can even hint on being alive. Amen? So, today, I'll be continuing this thing incorporates. That would be helpful. Oh, that's good. So we'll be continuing our series uh, that we began about four weeks ago. I'm dealing with the fifth church, the Church of Sardis. And I'll be sharing specifically... on spiritual death and how... Sorry. Oh, thank you. So, the title of my message today is Spiritual Death and How to Overcome It. Spiritual Death and How to Overcome It. In the text we just read, there was an audience that Christ sent his message to. So, as we go through the next 10, 15, 2 hours, <laughs> thanks for the encouragement, uh, I'll be sharing on the following subtopics. Okay. The audience, their former condition, their prevailing condition at death, the effects of that condition, how to overcome it, and understanding that overcoming is a lifelong battle. First, the audience. It's clear in verse 1 that Jesus sent this message to the angel of the church of Sardis. That would be representative of either senior pastor or the bishop, and I want to stretch it, could be the leadership of the church. And he was sharing telling them about the condition of the church they were presiding over. And I believe that they were then, or they had a, a responsibility to share the same message with their congregation. And hopefully that's what they did. We have no indication, but we hope that's what they did. And I think about our time. If that letter was sent in our time, what would the church leadership have done or do. We have indications that most probably they would, shred, they would shred that letter. And I'll tell you why. We have instances in our Christian faith where two denominations learned about sexual abuse in the church and they tried to cover it up for years. All with the intention of keeping an image of what the church is. So if they could do that, this letter could not make it to anyone, if they got it. So we thank God that these individuals, hopefully they were kind enough, they preserved a copy for us today. Amen? And that's why we're here, learning from their experiences and what Christ wants the church to live by. But also, there is a secondary audience. In verse 6, 
It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says the churches. That indicates to me that this letter was not sent just to one church. It was sent at least to six other churches. They all had a copy of the same letter. So even if this church wanted to shred this letter, they were out of luck. It was already out. So other people knew about the condition. But I want to focus more on the whoever has ears, because that brings us into the audience. Why? We have ears. Right? <laughs> it's that simple. We have ears, and so whatever is being shared in this letter is relevant to us in our time. Amen? Amen. Now, we have to understand that Jesus did not send this message to the church to shame the church. He loves his church, and he wants them to do well. Amen? He didn't send it to them for comparative spirituality. That was the purpose of this letter. He did not send it to them to cause them to second-guess their faith practices. So if you're worshiping, do it in love. If you're preaching, do the same. Amen? Don't second-guess yourself. But also, before Jesus left, he told the disciples that they, meaning the world, will know that you belong to me when you love one another. Amen? We are his disciples, just as the church inside his walls. And I've been here long enough to understand that when people lose a loved one, they grieve together. So when something goes wrong in another church, we shouldn't be happy about the situation. We should grieve with them because what they are going through affects all of us. Amen? You're too quiet. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All right, I need some encouragement. So, whatever goes through in the church, it affects all of us. So when something bad happens in the church, we should grieve together, whether it be here or be far apart by distance or skin color. We should grieve together. Amen? So now... Down the audience. So he says, there, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your deeds. I have, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. First, I'm going to focus on the I know your deeds. Jesus, even though it may seem like he is not or is far away from us, he is involved and engaged with everything that goes on in our churches. Amen? He's actively involved to the point that he even had to send this letter or this message to the church. So he has never left. He is in the workings, and he wants us to do well spiritually. But then, the second piece is the former condition of this church. Amen? He says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive. 
I tend to think that that is a reference to their former condition. And if you go to uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I'll paraphrase this. We are told that every believer was at one time spiritually dead. But because of the love of God and through Jesus Christ, we were forgiven, our sins were forgiven, and through Jesus Christ, we became alive in him. Amen? That was the condition they were in before the prevailing condition. They were first dead spiritually, then they got life in Christ, and now we find ourselves whereby they're dead again. Okay? But Ezekiel captures this very well. When he says, when God says, I'll gather you from wherever you're scattered, I'll bring you and sprinkle water on you, I'll wash you clean, and I'll put a new heart in you and a new spirit. And I'll give you my spirit to cause you to do my commandments. Amen? So we see that this church, before the dying, they were fully in the things of God. They were spiritually alive. Amen? But then something happened to whereby now they are dead. What happened? I want to submit to you that this death, which is spiritual death, can only occur to a believer if a believer makes a deliberate decision to turn their back on God. First John 5, 16 to 18 says this. If you see a brother or sister sinning, pray for them in as long as that sin doesn't lead unto death. That means there is a sin that leads unto death. And he says, for that sin, don't bother praying. Because that sin really requires someone to be raised from the dead. Amen? So the church is dead. But what does that really mean to us today? What's the simple implication from that? I'll tell you this. First John, I mean John 14:6 says that Jesus is life. Acts 3:15 says that Jesus is the author of life. First Corinthians 3:11 says that Jesus is the foundation of the church. So when Jesus, who is all these things, declares a church dead, that means he is not in that church. Amen? Because his life and his death. He can't be what death is. So if the church is dead, that means Jesus is not in the life of this church. They may come together to pray. He is not in their assembly. They may preach. He is not in their messages. They may sing songs. He's not in their songs. They may do ministry on the outside. He is not in their ministries. Why? They are simply dead. Amen? You took quiet again. Amen. Amen. So, that was the prevailing condition of this church. 
So in that situation, what do we do? I will tell you this, that when death becomes so common, when death is all around us, there is a tendency of people being desensitized to it. When someone dies, it is just another death. And life moves on. Life goes on. Amen. This church, I believe, became a victim because when death was occurring in their midst, they didn't care. Just another death. They did not pay attention to what was going on in the church. That's why in verse 4, Jesus says that there are a few in Sardis who had not sold their garments. The inference from that part of Scripture is that the majority of the people in the church were dead. Amen? So you'll be in a church like this, and you find the person preaching. You know they're preaching. They're part of the people who are dead, right? And so that is what was going on in this church. But we know that death has actual impact on those who are alive. It separates people. It separates them from their belongings, from their loved ones, from their experiences, from their abilities. Death literally makes someone unable to do nothing. They are dead. Amen? And that condition is something that we have to dread. Death is threatening. So then, if that's the situation, how do we overcome death? How do we overcome death? One, we have to awaken that which is left in a person. We have to awaken that which is left in a person. What am I saying here? When a person dies spiritually, in as long as they're still alive, there is hope for them. When a person dies spiritually, and that death is closely followed by physical death, then there's no hope for that person. Amen? So when a person dies spiritually and they're alive, they have three things still left in them that have been appealed to. One is the mind. They have been made aware of their condition. Amen? And when they get to know their condition, the hope is that that awareness will travel and get in their hearts so that they can grieve over their condition. And when they grieve over their condition, the belief is that at that point, they will surrender their will to God and this will be turned around. Amen? But in the physical life that we live in, I want us to draw some experience from the physical life. And that is, there are some obvious reactions that people undergo when they learn that someone they love has passed on. The first is they're shocked. Then secondly, they inquire into the cause of death. 
And thirdly, they grieve as loved ones. Amen? So in this case, we have to inquire into what caused this church to die. And it's clear sin played a part in this death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 15.56. What does it say again? 1 Corinthians uh, 15.56. What does it say? Oh, my goodness. God is good, <laughs> right? It says that, I think Paul was talking more in the sense of death. Where is your sting? Or grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Amen? And so, First John 5, 16 to 18, where Paul talks about, and John talks about that sin that leads it uh, leads to a spiritual death. But I also want to emphasize that sin is really at the center of this if we look at verse 3, I mean chapter 3, verse 4, where Jesus says the church, there are some in Sardis who have not sold their garments. Right? In the context of Isaiah 61.10, we are told, Isaiah said, I rejoice greatly in my Lord because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness, right? Now, if Jesus is saying this church that there are some who have not sold their clothing, the clothing being referenced here, in my view, is salvation and righteousness. And the only thing that can sew those two garments is sin, right? So sin was at the center of this condition. And so for us today, we have to find every reason to fight sin when we see it, when we hear about it, and when we learn of it. That's the only way we are going to stay alive. Amen? So after people being aware of sin as a cause of death, we have then to come and grieve of our condition. Because that grieving, or through grieving in the physical life, people make life-altering decisions. When people is a loved one who has been close to them, in the process of grieving, they reflect upon their lives, what they've been to them. And most of the time, people make life-changing decisions. And so here with the scene, we know what it is, we have seen it, and now we are grieving over it. And that grieving should cause us to be sorrowful about our condition that we become willing to be changed. Amen? Amen. That's how we are going to overcome this condition. Now, Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. So let's not be confused about the wake up here. Jesus is the only person who can represent death as sleep, because he has the power to raise people from the dead. It's not that church was sleeping. They were not sleeping. They were dead, 
And when you are dead, you are dead. But when he says wake up, he's representing this condition and equating it to being asleep because he has the power and the means to raise people from the dead. So he says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, there have been comment, uh, commentaries or people commenting on this scripture, and they have suggested that this speaks more on strengthen your faith. Do, keep on doing good deeds. Well, if that's the understanding, then we don't know what death really means. A dead person can't strengthen anything in them. Amen? So it's not a reference for anything in a person who is dead because they're unable on their own to do a thing. They are dead. Amen? And so what this tells me, if we go back in the physical or in the natural life that we live, if the dead ever had awareness at all, the only thing they can count on when they're dead is the unwavering love of those who love them. Amen? And so in this case, the only thing a person spiritually dead, whether in the church or in the world, can count on is the love of God for humans or for people. That is true, and that's what's remaining because we know spiritual death leaves a person with a mind, a heart, and a will. And that connection is what makes us aware to learn of what's remaining for us. Because if we don't buy into what God's promising, as in salvation, then physical death will come any time. And when that happens, even that love that God had for us will be gone. Amen? So, what remains for a dead person is the love of God. And that's what gives us hope that our condition of spiritual death is not permanent if we are still alive. It can be reversed. It can be changed. Amen? We're almost done. Bear with me here. This one was last week. God is good. So, finish that. Uh, then he says, remember, therefore, what you received and heard, and hold it fast and repent. What did we receive? We go back to, we were dead spiritually, we were saved, and now we are dead. What did we receive before this condition? We received salvation. Amen. So we have to remember what we received. We tested it. We know what it was, what it is. So now we have to remember how good that was back then to really want it to happen again in our lives. Amen? So, it was the message of the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A message of God's love, mercy, and grace. That's what we had back then, and that's what we need in the time of spiritual death. Amen? Amen. And finally, fighting this condition is a lifelong battle. Why? Because even when you repent, 
There will still be temptations around you. There will be things pulling us one way or another. And it's also common for people who have been rescued to always want to go back to the same country they were rescued from. So he says here, and I want to focus on this one word, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. The word I want to focus on is victorious because it has every sound of having to be in this kind of fighting mode, always fending off something, right? That in the end, if you finally overcome that something that you're fighting, then you are victorious. So the fight against sin, if we are still alive, is an ongoing battle. Amen? Because if you can fend off sin, you are fending off spiritual death. Amen? So it's an ongoing battle we have to engage in. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, I believe 6.10, Therefore, put on the full arm of God. Amen? So that you can withstand. Amen? It's a lifelong battle. And we need the full armor of God. May God bless you. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.